parents go through months. I know because we did this four times. Parents will go through months of trying to come up with the right name for their child. They try to capture a name that will encapsulate their hopes. They try to come up with a name that will encapsulate maybe some family legacy or someone that you honored in the family. They, they try to capture a name that they hope will encapsulate the spirit of that child, what they hope that child will be. And not often do parents come up with names that they child is going to have to have a fight the first time he writes his name in the first grade, you know? I can remember my dad saying one time after we were introduced to a little boy and his name, we got into the pickup truck and my daddy said, that boy will be fighting before he's out of diapers because of people making fun of his name. And sometimes we, we try to think in ahead. Maybe you come from a family with real traditional names and you try to come up with a name that is non-traditional for your, your family because there's been so much tradition in your family. And a lot of times you will also come up with a name that will be generational names. So some of you may be the second, the third, the fourth, or whatever comes after that. But what we're doing is we want a name for our child that they're going to be proud of. We also want a last name for ourselves that our children are going to be proud to bear. Our surnames are important. I'm proud of the name that my father and my grandfather and my great-great-grandfather passed on to me. I never met my grandfather. I never met my great-grandfather. But I know something because of having my grandfather's journals. I know something about who my grandfathers were on the Clanton side and the legacy they passed on to me. Most people are familiar with the legacy that I have from some of my uncles that moved out west, and they were called the Clanton Gang, and maybe you've seen the movie The OK Corral, or you've seen a movie about Wyatt Earp. Well, those are my relatives, but those weren't my grandfather's children. Those were my great-grandfather's other children who chose not to live for the Lord. As a matter of fact, when my father died, I was amazed at how many people came and told me stories about my dad. And one man, his name was Mr. Widener. I will never forget Mr. Widener. He's in heaven now. But Mr. Widener looked like a wrestler, a big man, very successful man in our community. But he laid his hand on my shoulder, and he looked at me, and I'm called Denny by a lot of people in my hometown. And he says, Denny? Your daddy passed on a good name to you. And son, you have passed on a good name to your children as well. And I couldn't help it. They're surrounded by flowers that you have sent our family. I can still see one particular arrangement in the background behind Mr. Widener. I can tell you the family that sent us those pictures, those, sent us those flowers, but I broke and just began to cry because there's something in a name. Would you say amen to that? There's something in a name. And although I love reading Shakespeare, I disagree with Juliet. There is more to a name than what she thought. She says, love means there's more than a name. When she says, what's in a name? Whether it's Capulet or Montague. But there's something powerful about a name. And honey, I saw Mark bring you a, a, a microphone. So would you come up here for just a second? Because you watch a show that sometimes I tease you about, not 
meanly, but I just tease you about. Would you tell everybody about this show you watch and why you like this show? Well, it's called Baby Name Monday. Baby Name Monday. So every Monday they come up with a new list of baby names, just in case we might have one more before. Come or on, Victory. Name. I'm ready for that. <laughs> name grandchildren. Abraham and Sarah right here. There you go. Uh, so this lady, she's a little bit unique, and every week she comes up with names. She is a baby name consultant because evidently we can't choose baby names. People pay her to People do this. People pay her to interview them, find their likes, their dislikes, their hobbies, their, you know, do you like, what season do you like? So maybe winter is your favorite season. Or maybe you want to name your baby Luna, like the moon. So every Monday, I think of Harry I watch, Potter when you say we that. get this new list of unique baby names, and people actually pay money for her to help them name their babies. And why do they do this? Why do they do this? Because they want to be unique. They want their children to have a name that's not in the top 100 names so that when they go to first grade, there's not 100 Chloe's in the first grade grade. They want so. a name that's just unique to them. Unique to them, and it means something. It either reflects their lifestyle or their commitments. There's even virtue names. Yeah. That there's a whole list of, you know, if we want our child to reflect a virtue, and hopefully that that name you give that child will help influence the kind of person or character they That's are. That's why the Puritans named so many of their children like providence and charity yeah. and things of that nature. Would you pray for us? Father, we love your name. Lord, and we love that you gave us your oh, name. Yeah. And Father, I pray that as we go through this service today and we talk about a name, that we'll realize the impact that your name, the holiness, the reverence, the joy, the intimacy, and the closeness just because you shared with us your name. Amen. Amen. If I said the name Plowman in this building this morning, instantly there's going to be a picture and an image come to your mind and a thought come to your mind. If I say the name Gurney in this building this morning, there's going to be a thought, there's going to be an image that comes to your name, your mind. If I th say the name Saunders or O'Connor, if I say the name Staggs, there's going to be net pictures and images that come to your mind. And all of those names that I just spoke out, I'm confident that they bring to you only thoughts of good and maybe thoughts of wisdom, maybe thoughts of humor, maybe thoughts of help, maybe thoughts of, of steadfastness, but above all, people who love you that I've just called their names in this church. Names do more than identify a person. A name identifies something about our culture. A name identifies something about our character. Because every name that I just called out to you, you associate character with that name as well. When you use a name respectfully, then that name helps you to draw into a deeper sense of relationship with that person. So if I say the name Gorky, instantly you might think of friendship, and you might think of someone who's helped you in times past. If, if I say the, the name this morning, Mance, you might think of Pastor Corey and Jeanette and their love for you and how they've served you. 
You see, when we use names correctly, when we use names lovingly, they build relationships. When we use names disrespectfully, it separates relationships. It drives people further apart. Because if someone uses your name disrespectfully or snarkily, there's a sense that you don't want to be around that person. There's also the sense that that person doesn't think very much of you. It comes as no surprise to those of you who are here and probably to most of you who are listening online this morning or watching live our live stream, it probably comes as no surprise that God places a very high value on his name. And in this study of the Ten Commandments, one of the things that we're looking at is the Ten Commandments were not meant to enslave us, but to enrich us. Say that word with me. Enrich us. Say it again. Enrich us. So think about this often during this series. God didn't give me the Ten Commandments to enslave me. God gave me the Ten Commandments to enrich my life, to enrich my family's life, to enrich our congregation, to enrich the community and the nation in which we live. And the third commandment, after the commandment of having no other gods before him, having no idols, God says, thou shalt not take my name in vain. And so if we were to take and strip away the shalt not, and we were to go, how shall we hold the name of God? How shall we treat the name of God? That's what I want to talk to you about. Because you've told your children when they leave home, now what you do represents our home. What you do represents our life and who we are. Becky's fond of telling the story of how at a children's event, the little boy said a very bad word, and his mother looked at him there in front of Becky and called him by name and says, we don't say that word. And the little boy looked at his mom and said, yes, we do. So suddenly he had revealed what goes on in the home, even though the mother wanted to deny what had happened there. We tell ourselves, often our children represent who we are. God places a high value, listen, on your name. God places value on your name. So the name that you have, Kelly this morning, the name that you have this morning, Sheridan, it means something to God. God is in the business of naming things. The Bible tells us in Psalms 147 that he names the stars. And think of the billions of stars that there are, and God named each of those stars. What was one of the uh, creative jobs that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was to name the animals that came to him because naming something meant, listen, naming something meant that you had responsibility, you had stewardship, you cared about it. That's why you name your child and the government doesn't name your child. That's why you name your child and the church doesn't name your child. You may not even think about that, but in some cultures, the parents don't get to name the child. Another entity does because you're responsible to love and to care and to share. So God says, I want you to use my name carefully. I want you to use my name lovingly. I want you to use my name faithfully. He doesn't want us to use his name dishonestly or deceitfully. Let me say that again. When we say, and I don't know who that ringing is, but if you could catch it, that would be a big help. He doesn't want us to use his name dishonestly 
or disrespectfully. Stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord this morning, and let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version because, as I've shared with you before, the Amplified will kind of bring out the meaning of some words that are important. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Why don't you read it with me this morning? You shall not use or repeat the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, lightly or frivolously, in false affirmations or profanely, or cussing or swearing or something like that. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Folks, there is meaning, there is significance, there is power in the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, you have meant to enrich us with these commandments. And how rich we are, Lord, just knowing the name of the Lord our God. You gave him the name that is above all names. And that one day every knee in heaven and earth are going to bow at the name of Jesus. You named him Jesus because he saves us from our sins. So I ask you now in the next few minutes, Lord, open our eyes to how we can reverence the name of the Lord. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Grab a pen and take some careful notes. One of the first things that Jesus taught us about prayer, and it's interesting to me that the disciples, they didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to do miracles. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to turn water into wine. Perhaps some of you here, you would like to know that secret. How do you turn water into wine? They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to catch fish so there would be gold coins in the mouth like Peter did. Perhaps there are some of you here that you would like to know how to fish like that. I might even get interested in fishing if I was going to find gold coins in their mouth. But they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And the very first thing that Jesus does when he teaches people how to pray, he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, pray like this, read it with me, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Can we say, pray that again? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It's the very first prayer request that we ask of the Lord when we pray the Lord's Prayer. I've encouraged you to pray that prayer at least three times a day, morning, noon, and night, to remind yourself of your relationship with God because God's name is His reputation. God's name represents who He is, His character. Do you know that God saves for His name? God saved us from our sins for the glory of His name. God's name is not an expression of anger, God's name is not an expression of pain. God's name is not an expression of frustration. God's name is not a swear word. Have you ever thought, why do people not go Buddha dang it? Have you ever thought why people don't go Muhammad dang it? They always take the name of the Lord in vain because there's power in the name of God. And we're talking about the the reputation of God. We don't want to be going around gurney dang it, plowman dang it, gorky dang it. You wouldn't want that used in everything about your name. 
God says, keep my name holy because God's name is a name that is joyous. God's name is a name that is powerful. God's name is a name that delivers. God's name is a name that is a fortress. God's name is a name that when it is spoken, the demons of hell tremble and begin to flee. And so we speak the name in reverence. Even as we sang it this morning, I just want to speak the name of Jesus. And I'm sure all of you, because I ask you to, you prayed the name of Jesus. You spoke the name of Jesus. My earliest memories are my parents sitting by my bed in the hospital and all those surgeries I would have, and I could feel their hands reaching through the bars of the hospital beds, and I can hear my dad, I can hear my mom, I can hear them going, Jesus, 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 and I can tell you to this day, the name of Jesus remains the sweetest name, the most comforting name, the most powerful name I know, because God's name is precious. God doesn't forbid the use of his name in the third commandment, God forbids the misuse of his name. And that's what's very important for us to remember. Because God promises blessings when you need, when you use his name correctly. I would challenge you to go through the scriptures and just search out all the scriptures about the name of the Lord. You will find there are hundreds of blessings that are available to you and me when we use the name of the Lord Jesus correctly. There are blessings of peace. There are blessings of prosperity. There are blessings of health. There are blessings of deliverance. There are blessings of discernment. There are blessings that God pours into our lives. He even promises us good success. Look at John 15 and verse 16 with me. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father would give you whatever you asked for, read it with me, using my name. God promises you good success. Fruitfulness is fun. Nobody wants to plant a peach tree just to have a peach tree with blossoms on it. I've told you before about an uncle of mine that I had. He would not plant any tree in his orchards, and he had thousands of acres. He would not plant any trees in his orchards. He would not plant any plants that would not produce some sort of edible fruit. And he said God meant, and he would quote the scripture, that seeds would be produced by planting seed. And so he had these beautiful gardens. He had these beautiful orchards, but they were always covered in fruit. One of my best friends down in South Georgia, a little place close to Hinesville, Georgia, he is up, grows pecans for a living. He prays over his pecan trees. The Georgia Farmer's Magazine, the Farmer's Almanac has come out before because he goes out with his workers and they pray over his orchards. And usually a really good, healthy crop of pecans will have three nuts to a cluster. Most of the time, they average two nuts to a cluster. But he always seems to get five nuts to a cluster on his pecan trees. And friends, that's money. If you bought pecans during the Christmas season, you know that's money. And he attributes it to going out into the orchards and praying over his orchards in the name of Jesus. Call him silly, call him superstitious, call him whatever you want. But he's a fast, passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and God has honored him for honoring his name and praying in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we use the name of the Lord correctly, then God blesses us. By the way, 
He doesn't misrepresent the name of the Lord, and he doesn't claim any special herbicide, any special pesticide, any special fertilizer. But in those two magazines I just get quoted to you, he gives all the glory and the praise and the honor to God. Now, some people may not like that, just like they don't like athletes saying that. But friends, as long as I have breath and as long as you have breath, we want to praise the Lord and make a joyful noise to him. Can you say amen to that? That's what God calls us to do. Now, look at uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's eating, whether it's investing, whether it's working, whether it's playing with your kids, whether it's taking care of your pets, whatever it is, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look at that. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father. In my last position when I worked in the district office for Georgia, Dr. Addison called me in one day and he says, Dennis, I want you to give up the position you have and I'm creating a new position for you and here's what I want you to do. I want you to be my hands of love in this district. And so he outlined some things for me and he says, now I have to ask you this. He says, "Call son, you're going to do all the work, and I'm going to get all the credit. Is that okay with you? My answer was, if you pay me enough, then yes. And he laughed, and they were very kind and very generous to me. But here's the deal. I was his hands of love throughout that district, but I was doing it in his name for his, for, to help him with what he did. Never one time was there any attention called. We don't want the attention upon us. We want all the praise and glory to go to God. Now, hear me on this. If you will give the praise to God and not seek it for yourself, there is nothing that is impossible to you. Now, you're not going to swim the Pacific Ocean when I say there's nothing impossible to you. But what I am saying is when you do what God has called you to do, there's nothing impossible. You see, my lifestyle reveals the character of God. My lifestyle depicts whether or not what I want to do with my life is glorify God or glorify myself. Brendan Manning, that I've recommended his, some of his books to you before, was reading an article about the legacy of the ragmuffin gospel, which years ago I used to rep, I recommend that book a lot. If you've never read it, I'd still recommend that you read it. But reading recently in Relevant Magazine, they quoted Manning, and I thought I'd share this with you this morning. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You see, it's not just a matter of saying the name of Jesus. It's not just a matter of not cussing or swearing or taking God's name in, in using God's name in a profane way. It's how you live your life. It's how you teach your class. It's how you study your classes. It's how you do your job as an administrative assistant. It's how you wait on the people who come to your restaurant to eat. It's how you love your wife. It's how you love your children. You see, that is how we honor and glorify the name of the Lord. 
I love how Peterson translates one of the Beatitudes when he says, you bring out the God colors in the world. Listen, the world is in the process. And yesterday, Heinz did a great job at the Trenton Library talking about the need for us to care for and steward our planet and to steward our resources. However, but understand this, you are God's answer right now to bringing out the God colors of this world. This world may be fallen, but you and I are the children of God. We still get to name what's around us. We still get to use what God has given to us, and we can still make it multiply for the glory of God if we do it in His name. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? People who find only bad in the world, people who find only evil in the world, people who find only corruption in the world, those are not the people of God. For we are a city set on a hill. We have a light that cannot be hidden. God is using us to bring healing to the planet even as we wait for the return of the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. For the very name of God represents His essence and His presence. The very name of God represents His essence and his presence. When you bring the name of Jesus to bear in your company, when you bring the name of Jesus to bear in your subdivision, in your, in your classroom, wherever you go, you bring with you the very essence and presence of God. Radical, joyous, life-changing life springs forth from one source. Pastor Jack Hayford used to be fond of saying, It springs forth from the presence of the Lord. And back in those days, we used to sing a song called, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love. Where the Spirit of the Lord is power. And Pastor Hayford used to tell us all the time that when you're in the presence of the Lord, radical life, joyous life, life that calls forth the dead back to life, it suddenly springs forth because where God is, there is life. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. Where God is, there's life. Jesus described it as abundant life, a full life, a joyous life, an honorable life, a merciful life, a faithful life. And he described it as a life of unfailing love. And if there's anything this generation needs to see from you and I is unfailing love for our wives, for our husbands, for our children, for one another in the body of Christ They need to see, as Brendan Manning said, lives that demonstrate the life of God. Becky and I have been so blessed and so privileged by you and by so many others to be a part of their lives, to be a part of the ups and the downs of life, the inevitable conflicts. Jesus' disciples were saying, teach us how to pray because they not only wanted to know God, but they saw Jesus meeting these impossible circumstances of conflict, impossible circumstances of demonic oppression and possession, impossible circumstances of disease. There's no need for the peace of God if there's no trouble in life. And I'm sure every one of us in here have seen trouble and heartbreak and despair. And so what they ask for is not teaching us how to do miracles, but teach us how to pray. Because peace and power doesn't come from a life of excess. Peace and power doesn't come from having all the toys and the latest gadgets of this world. God is not against provision for our need and providing for us richly. God is against living for those things, and as we looked at in the first two messages, making those the idols of our life. 
Peace doesn't come and power doesn't come when you misinterpret, listen to me carefully because this could be a little hard to comprehend. When you misinterpret the pain, the strife, the sickness, or the disappointment that comes in life. I can think back into those early days of our life when Becky and I would experience a painful moment. We would experience a disappointment. I can remember we were driving through a place called Little Five Points, and you've probably seen that before on television if you've ever watched Matlock. And we were just trying to figure out what was God saying, what was God doing, because we had just experienced a painful disappointment. I can remember one time when we had already done everything necessary for an adoption and all the legal fees and all the adoption fees and at the very last moment there was a change and the baby was, in the words of our attorney, was legally bought by a a child corporation that was providing children to wealthy families and we sat in the parking lot holding one another. And in those days, not understanding what I hope to pass on to you right now, We prayed. And some of you have been through some very, look at at me, don't miss, especially if you're online, look in my eyes. You have been through some painful and horrible, heart-wrenching situations. Don't misinterpret the pain. Don't misinterpret the disappointment. Don't misinterpret the circumstance that has happened in your life. Stop and consider your ways, for that's what God is saying to you. Stop. Consider, think about, pray about for the God who created you and saved you. God is able in all things to make everything, whether death or heartbreak or divorce or bankruptcy, God is able in all things to make them work for his good, for your good, and for his glory and honor. And I can testify to you today at almost 70 years of age, he has been faithful, faithful, faithful to his name and to his word always. Always, always. It doesn't mean there hasn't been hurt. It doesn't mean there hasn't been disappointment. It doesn't mean there hasn't been broken hearts from time to time. But God always heals. God always restores. And as you've heard me say for years now, finish it with me. If you can stand the pulling, God will. Come on, victory. (laughs) That's what God does. But maybe... Because I would be a dishonest pastor if I didn't give you the other side of the coin. Maybe you should stop and consider your ways because you've sown much, as the prophet Haggai said, and you've harvested little. For there are people with excess, but they have little in the way of peace. They have little in the way of joy. They have little in the way of love. They have little in the way of a good name. And so God allows these things to come in our lives so we could stop and consider our ways. And the Bible calls that repentance. And we turn and we seek the Lord. And isn't God so good? God then reverses the curse and begins to pour out upon us an abundance of blessing that we cannot contain. And I don't want you to lift your hand, but there are some of you that you've experienced that. I know that from your story that you've told me. Because God can change your fortunes overnight. Psalms 8 and verse 1. I'm going to read three verses kind of quickly here together. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
you think the mountains and the Alps and the Rockies are majestic. The name of the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Psalm 68, 4, sing praises to God and to his name. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Isn't that what we did as we sang this morning? We rejoiced in his presence. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. And then I love Isaiah 50 and verse 10. You need to listen carefully here. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Listen to the word that I'm preaching to you this morning. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. If you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. He will be the light of your path. And then this is what I pray so often over you. From the book of Numbers, chapter 6 and verse 24, the Lord bless you. And watch, guard, and keep you. The Lord, make his face shine upon and enlighten you and be gracious, kind, merciful, giving favor to you. The Lord, lift up his approving countenance upon you and give you peace, tranquility, and heart and life continually. Read this last verse with me because this is so important. And they shall put my name upon the Israelites and I will bless them. Now listen to me. I am going to say something shocking. I'm not cussing. There is no way you can take the name of God and damn somebody. Because when you put the name of the Lord upon somebody, you are blessing them. That curse falls to the ground empty. But God does not hold you innocent would you take his name profanely like that? Because the name of the Lord was meant to bless, to heal, to protect, and to save. And I can hardly stay in my skin this morning. That excites me so much. The name of the Lord. Well, let me quickly give you some growth work. And honey, if you'll come on up. Ask yourself this question this week. Whose name am I living to glorify? Are you living to glorify your name? Are you living to glorify and leave a memory for yourself? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So right now, would you commit this week to constantly glorifying the Lord's name. Live a God-centered life. Live joyfully in Him. Bring the joy of the Lord wherever you go. Pray in the name of Jesus for people to be healed. Pray with me at this memorial service that I'm doing today that people will be saved in the name of Jesus. Bring comfort to people. When you walk into the room, listen to me, this is how you glorify the name of the Lord. When you walk into the room, people should instantly be encouraged because comfort and healing and peace and joy walks in them. You don't have to walk in there religious. Just walk in there with the love of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Verse 2, we give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Secondly, be like Jesus everywhere. Make it your prayer, Jesus, I want to be like you. That's not a vain prayer. I'm constantly praying, Lord, you know me. You know me. I need all the help I can get to be like Jesus. You know me. I need all the help I can get to be like Jesus. Jesus.
Listen, stop thinking about the restaurant you're going to go eat at. May Jesus bless your food. Come out cold if you're not listening to me right now. Cold and greasy. There's only two questions here. When I read you this point and I ask you to observe it, do you want to be like Jesus or do you want to be like the devil? Do you want to be like Jesus or do you want to be like Satan? That's the alternative. Because that's the only two choices you've got in life is will you live like Jesus everywhere? Or will you seek to steal, to kill, to destroy, to take? Or will you seek to be a giver? Ernest Shackleton, in that wonderful book about perseverance and endurance, and maybe you've seen the movie Endurance. I think most of us here know about that movie. We've done a couple of services before using that book and movie clips as a theme. But after their ship had been crushed and they made that treacherous journey, he and three other men to cross Elephant Island. They got to the island. It was thought impossible, but in 36 hours, they were able to cross the island. Shackleton records in his journal, he says, somehow or another, I always felt there was another presence with us. One of his men said to him, he said, sir, don't you sense there's an unseen presence of love walking with us? Do you remember the children of Israel that were cast into the fiery furnace and in the flames there was a fourth man that looked like the Son of God walking with them? When you go with Jesus, Jesus goes with you. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. He goes with you. And then finally this morning, trust, trust in the name of the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Stand with me this morning. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing this song. And if the team can put the, song, the lyrics to this song on the screen. So, Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that this third commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, it's about so much more than not swearing or cursing. It's about living as passionate followers of Jesus Christ. It's about celebrating your love. God, it's about the uncontainable source of joy that is in our hearts because Jesus lives there. So I ask you right now, as we sing this song, speaking the name of Jesus, would you draw us closer to you? Would you help us to realize the saving, comforting, healing, delivering power that is in the very name of Jesus? that saves us from our sins. And while every head is bowed, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, while we sing this song, why don't you do that this morning? You say, Pastor, how do I do it? You just simply say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you rose again from the dead. I don't understand it all yet, but I give my heart to you today. Matter of fact, pray that with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. I believe you were raised on the third day from the dead. And I believe you're coming back one day. I don't understand it all. But I give my life completely to you this morning. 
In your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's sing this song together.